racist was on the 9th of June 1862 on a summer's afternoon I took the bus to Bamberg's and she was heavy laden Away we went along Collingwood Street that's on the road to Bladen Hello and welcome to CHN Radio, episode 93. I am your host, Greg Troxel. You can follow me at NUFC underscore Greg. And um, we have a very special show for you today. But first, before we really dive into it, make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast. Just go into iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever. Wherever you listen to, search Coming Home NUFC. And you will find us. Click the subscribe button because you know you want to. Now, for the real reason why you want to subscribe, I introduce you. The best damn co-host in the land, Elijah Newsom. What it do? We're here. What it do? We're live. And we're, we're excited to be here, I guess. I don't know. It's another week of previewing Newcastle, so there's that. Um, if you want to hear my hot takes and my depressing thoughts on Atlanta United um, losing in the MLS Cup playoffs, uh, you can follow me at Elijah underscore Newsome. Um, be sure to follow both of our podcast accounts at CHN. Well, I guess we have one podcast account and one main site account at CHN underscore radio. And, yes. <laughs> of course, at Coming Home NUFC. Um Greg, why is today's show so special? It's special because we have a special guest. We oh. are going to be previewing West Ham with the one and only Kristen Hennage. Kristen's a writer for all things soccer. He's from New, uh, New England. Oh, my gosh. He's from Newcastle. Um, grew up a Newcastle supporter and has recently moved to the U.S. So that is fantastic. We have another... British citizen turned American, um, so we'll, we'll get to that, uh, but before we do, we'll be talking about our lovely Newcastle United news, so... Oh, wait, wait, Greg. Yes? We gotta give the people an update on where we stand with five-star reviews. What's the latest on that? Oh, um, I can check if you just want a filibuster real quick. Well... Greg told me about this this review that said that we were the only. Well, let me find it. Oh, it said we were the only Newcastle. We have it. Uh, podcast. Oh well, they, now people won't even know the review that I said that I'm trying to read right now as we speak. You said that we were the only Newcastle podcast not in Mike Ashley's pocket or the club's pocket. So it was. I think that was the review that yes. put us over. So shout it out may to be. that review. Yeah, the only Newcastle podcast nope. that isn't on NUFCs and Mike Ashley's payroll. And we are officially at 35 reviews, which means you, the people, are getting a giveaway. I didn't even, like, look to <laughs> to tell anyone. So now Elijah and I are going to get you more details on that. And if you want the giveaway, you better be following us on Twitter, at CHN underscore radio, because if you're not, it's going to be really hard to get the giveaway. That's actually true. 
that's uh, yeah. That's ten, they tend to work uh, through the. Some would say medias. it's impossible. <laughs> Some yeah. would say it would be impossible to to get the giveaway. All right. Thanks, Elijah. I true, can't actually. believe I well, missed that. Oh, well, you know that's why I'm here. Yeah, clean up your mess. <laughs> there it is. All right, let's get into Newcastle news. The first bit, Jeremy Corbyn. This is the second time we've referenced Jeremy Corbyn on our podcast. Maybe the third, even. Um, not every day you get to have a sports podcast about a a soccer club in England and talk about politics. But it's Jeremy's fault. He, once again, in a speech, trashed Mike Ashley, and I am here for it. He, like, mentioned – I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but he said, like – and these owners that, like Mike Ashley, that has run Newcastle United into the ground. And I was like, yes, say his name, say it louder. Elijah, what's your thoughts? I love it. Um, typically when a, uh, a politician attacks a business owner, it's never good uh, because usually they don't want to do that. But in this case, I'm all for it, and it's great, and I like the truth being exposed. So mm. shout out to Jeremy Corbyn. I don't really know his actual politics and like what he stands for, but I I support hating Mike Ashley. So he's got that going. Um, if people want to fill me in on whether or not it's good to support Jeremy Corbyn or not, I won't listen because I don't care and I don't like talking about politics. So uh, <laughs> there's. I that. know he's on the he's on the liberal side of politics. Um, that's all I know. I, can, I literally can't tell you much else about him. Um, he's against Brexit. He's white. Yeah, and that's all I got for you. Um, but I, we are we are going to be here for any time he wants to slander Mike Ashley. Like, I'm definitely in for that. Um, cool. All right, so I think the last bit of news, Elijah, is some BS meter work. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to BS meter you. Um, and we can, we can talk about him a little bit, too. So we are linked with Ibrahima Sissoko. He's not related to Musa, but he is a player that I'm somewhat familiar with. Uh, He plays for Strasbourg in Ligue 1, and Newcastle's linked to him. He's a very massive, like, in-your-face midfielder, Um, but it seems that Newcastle is very interested and that they want to bring him over to Newcastle United. So he's only twenty. He's twenty-two, um, young talent. What's your thoughts initially on the BS meter? It, it it's tough because it, it's thirteen million pounds is a price tag that seems about right for Newcastle. It's a position where, and Kristen kind of gets into this when we talk to him that. I guess you could say Newcastle needed something a little bit different in the middle of the pitch. So it, it's it's plausible, but I don't have the confidence of Newcastle getting a deal done. So I'll say that it's like a wheelbarrow full of cow manure. Yeah. Um well I mean, well, what's your take on it? I mean, you're the you're the well, league, ugh, expert. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess between us, but I wouldn't be an expert at all. Um, I just like watching. Oh, I liked watching Strasbourg this year. Has been pretty brutal. Um, he's six four, so like 
tall dude. <laughs> He's pretty fast, but anyone like I mean, if if you threw him in against Man City, I mean it's game over. Like Man City wins six seven nothing, they would torch him. Um, little little speedy demons in the Premier League would not have an issue at all, just running right past him. So he, he uses his size to his advantage in League 1. Um, but he also, like he, I mean, it could be because he's just young and, and naive and makes some mistakes. I don't know. I don't see how he could transition, go from Strasbourg to the Premier League and do well. I, I don't think it would work out too well for him. But with, with the pressure of having to avoid relegation, mind you. Yeah, well, he's of course. they're doing that right now at Strasbourg. So oh. uh, he's definitely – he'll be used to that if we bring him over in January. Uh, they were until they won this past weekend. They were in, yeah. in 20th. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't – Scraping up the bottom of the barrel of all the leagues, Newcastle United, yeah, and gentlemen. Exactly. Um, I feel like there's a lot lot better talent and probably even cheaper talent to go for than him. I, I was kind of surprised when I saw the link. Next player – do you have anything else on this? No, no. I mean, I'll check him out in FIFA. Yeah, yeah. Check him out and let us know. Um, next player <laughs> scouting report. is Regan Thompson. It could be Regan. I don't know. Um, or Regan. So, Regan. 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 Thompson. Uh, interesting. Scottish player. He is 17. Or no, he's 16. He's either 16 or 17, and he's a really promising Scottish player. He plays for Queen Park, Queen's Park, not the Rangers, but the Queen's Park Spiders in Scotland. Um, yeah, he is 16, and he has been he's been getting scouted by a lot of clubs, obviously Rangers and Celtic, but a lot of English clubs as well. And Newcastle was there to travel up to see him play for Scotland's U17s. They faced off against Iceland, and he had two assists in the match. So it was, like, obviously very good for his age, very good um, um, at the national level for Scotland, so that's a good plus. But he also he made his debut for Queen's Park, who is an amateur side, um, but when he was 16 years old, and he played in the Scottish Challenge Cup, played uh, Celtics U20s uh, in that first match and did well in that too. So... Apparently, like, he's being touted as a very, very promising prospect. I think it's a youth signing here. I doubt he would be moved from Queen's Park Spiders to Newcastle United's first team, but you never know. Um, what's the BS meter on this, Elijah? I mean, I think it's a little bit more. Um, I, there's this infatuation with young Scottish talent, and it's kind of interesting, especially out of that league, that there was a guy like Kieran Tierney who, like, was dominating that league as a fullback and didn't get his breakout until this season after being somewhat dominant for six or so years. And, well, at least four, four or five, I'd say. Um, So I think it's very odd that everyone's so focused on this guy. And and if I'm him, it's looking like it's likely he's going to be an academy somewhere, unless he's going up to Celtic or Rangers. There's a potential he could break into the first team. Um, But still... He's looking at an academy, and if you're looking at academies, out of all the options listed, Newcastle are, like, the worst option. Like, he's better off in his own academy than going to Newcastle. So, I'd say it's like a semi-truck that's one of those double semi-trucks that's, like, carrying two loads of just 
absolute horse poop um, because there's just no way this is happening. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Well, we're the closest club to, to Scotland. So yeah, that. but we're also we're the closest in quality to Scotland too. Huh. <laughs> I think it, a, they're in Glasgow, so I'm not. I know, so I think that's like still under three hours away, uh, Glasgow to Newcastle. I'm not. Uh, hey, if, if he just but... wants to make a move up the ladder and stay close to home, then yeah, he should be considering us and Rangers and Celtic. But if he wants to advance his career, then. Go to the Man City Academy. Go to Wolves. Go to Leicester's Academy. Go to a place where they're going to invest. I mean, in, in you as a player and as a prospect, Everton. and put you in the yeah. best position to succeed. And that's oh, just Hampton. not Newcastle. Yeah, just name Newcastle. off academies better than than Newcastle. We'll just, we can yeah. go down the list. Jeez, yeah. It's definitely not Sunderland, though. We can say that pretty confidently. No. Or Middlesbrough. Sunderland, but, I think they just got a new owners. Their investment deal finally went through, I think. So, congrats to them. Good for them. They also just lost again in League One. So, yeah. yeah. So great for Sunderland. <laughs> All right. Well, um, do you have anything else news-related, Elijah? Um, No. All right. Well, I have oh, one by the time this you. tweet, By the time this podcast is dropped... Actually, I do, but wait, this is a question, a statement, announcement. By the time this podcast is dropped, our first poll for our FIFA uh, career mode, our first two polls, actually, well, first question, tweet, and first poll. The question will be, what should our manager be named, and what should they look like, blah, blah, blah. Just any suggestions will be considered. And the second poll will be, uh, what budget do do we want to go with? There's a budget that's a little bit on the cheaper end that's like a roughly 25 million pound budget or a budget that's closer to like the 40 million pound mark to start things off. Do we want to be as realistic as possible? That kind of stuff. So those two questions actually have just been scheduled out to go out. Um, at least the questions. I'm trying to figure out how to schedule out polls, but we'll figure that out. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the FIFA update and we'll be bringing that to you regu- regular regularly. Goodness All me. right. Awesome. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we're about to take a break and get into West Ham and our chat with Kristen Hennage. And we are going to do that right after this wonderful ad break. So, see you guys on the other side. All right, everyone. Well, we have a special guest for you to preview the West Ham match and to talk about a nice, juicy article on Miguel Almiron. And with us, on CHN Radio, we're proud to have Kristen Hennage. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Doing well. Unreal. Electric. <laughs> Electric. Um, Kristen, yes. he's, a, he's an English football writer in New York. Just moved to New York a month ago, so let's give him a warm American welcome. Uh, you can find him on The Guardian, CNN, Paper Sport, Odds Checker, MLSsoccer.com, which we'll talk about. Um, how, how's your, how's your first month in America? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been really nice actually. Um, it's been a fairly slow transition, which is, has been helpful. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's obviously different culturally, but I, I think that change was something I was quite ready for. So I'm, uh, I'm quite eager to throw myself into it, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, have you 
watched any Newcastle matches in New York in the Eastern time zone? Yes, I have. Um, I, I caught the Wolves game on Sunday. Um, the Chelsea one was a little bit more difficult, but caught that after the fact. But no, it's 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 funny. That's one of the the benefits I think is that actually the further you get away from England, the more football you're able to watch. So my dad mm-hmm. can't watch the three o'clock games at, at home, but I can see them in in full uh, full HD color if I want. So it's uh, it's a nice trade off, I guess, for having to get up early. Yeah, it's a wonderful trade off. So. Um, Speaking of Newcastle and being in America, one player that a lot of Americans have been focusing on has been uh, Miguel Anron because of his dominance in the MLS. And what we're seeing is not really dominance in the Premier League. And you, you wrote an article about it. Um, so do you want to talk into it? Give the people a little preview about what you talked about. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a bit difficult for Miguel because he, he was clearly a star in Atlanta. He was the driving force in attack and you look at his numbers now and he hasn't got a goal, he hasn't got an assist in the entirety of the time he's been at Newcastle, which I think on a very superficial level, you say, well, he's clearly not performing well and he's clearly not doing anything of use. I think that's a little bit of a misnomer myself. I think Miguel brings a benefit to the team even when he's not actually applying the finishing touch with a pass or, or a shot. But I think at the same time, yeah, there's a fair argument to be made that he hasn't quite delivered in the way I think that some hoped and there's now with each passing game an element of is this guy any good is 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 this someone that we can really hang our hat on in attack because this team doesn't create a lot it doesn't score a lot so it needs people that can be clinical unfortunately what's your thoughts on the the differences between MLS to Premier League I know some people say like to kind of take this saying, oh, Miguel was the best player in the ML- in MLS, but here he is in the Premier League not doing well as everyone expected. MLS is just bad. What's your thoughts yeah. on that? <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I've, I've watched MLS for quite a while now, and, and one thing I can never accept is this sort of tokenism about any player that leaves MLS and goes to, say, the Premier League is instantly a standard bearer for how good MLS is. I think that's ridiculous, personally, because you don't necessarily say it the other way. You don't say, well, Andrea Pirlo was terrible for NYCFC, so Serie A must be useless. And it, it's a double standard that, that I think is, is wholly unfair on players like Miguel, because actually you have to think of it, well, what situation is he going into? How well-suited is that team to him? I think the benefit someone like Miguel has is that MLS shares a lot of stylistic similarities to the Premier League in so much as it's fast, it's aggressive, it's quite open in an attacking sense. Um, and so you will, in theory, get chances. So that's possibly a better transition than, say, if he had gone to Serie A, where I think it's not that the pace is necessarily slower, but it's a different tactical style that I don't know if he would be as easily welcome to. Now, granted, he hasn't done spectacularly well. But I think at the same time, it's a little bit harsh to jump to the other pole on that spectrum and say, well, he's been terrible. Because I don't think he has. I think, especially in those first, let's say, four months that he, he worked with Rafa, I actually think he pretty much delivered on what Rafa wanted him to do. And if it wasn't for some iffy finishing on his part and, and also teammates, I think he'd have got that goal and assist pretty comfortably. It's true. Um, and so kind of tactically, 
tactics wise, you, you kind of touch on that in, in your piece. What do you think we can be doing better tactically in order to kind of push Miggy to the next level? Put him on the left first would be my <laughs> <laughs> playing where he's supposed to play. Um, yeah. I, this, this insistence on putting him on the right, I, I just find it utterly bizarre because you can see he's not comfortable there. He, he wants to go inside. If he goes inside, he's going into traffic. A lot of what he did in those first few months was driving down the outside of a fullback that wanted nothing to do with him doing that. Um, I look at the Huddersfield game where, again, yeah, he's kind of playing in that half space between centre-back and fullback, and he's nutmegging fullbacks and he's, he's driving down the outside. That's where I think he has to be sort of accommodated a little bit. And to be very honest, I don't think Alassane Maximan is necessarily going to struggle if you put him on the right. I think he's someone that actually is quite comfortable going inside or outside. So I, I think you need a little bit of common sense in terms of, okay, what's the best thing I can do here? Because putting Sam Maximan on the, the left is actually forcing him inside. And often when he does shoot, it tends to get blocked. So I think start by playing him in his best position. But then also start by giving him a little bit of the structure that he had in those first few months. So you can't just sit him on the edge of, of the penalty box or you know inside Newcastle's half and say, okay, you've got to take this ball up to Joe Linton or St. Maximan, and then you've got to produce something on top of it. Because that wasn't what he was doing in those first few months. He was I, I was genuinely surprised when people compared him to Ozil because I thought that's not Miguel's game at all. He's, he's a good passer, not an exceptional passer. It's all about the energy. And I've always said from, from minute one, he, to me, he is more like Angel Di Maria during his last season at, at Real Madrid. He's someone that opens up space, drives through, exactly like he did against Bournemouth for, for Rondon's free kick. He carries that some 60 yards with three men trailing him and, and leaves them all for dust. So give him that structure. Make it so that either he's bringing the ball with him to give it to Sam Maximan or give it to Joe Linton, or you put him in that final third and say, okay, the ball's going to come to you. You have to do something with it. But I think this sort of halfway house of, of where he has to bring the ball up and then do something, that's far too much responsibility to put on a player. I, I don't care if he costs 20 million or 120 million. That's, that to me is just too much. Yeah. It's something that Elijah and I have preached on this podcast is first the position like we, why are we playing him in the wrong position? And then, and then two, there's there's a lot of. Sometimes I, I feel tactically there isn't much direction at all. So you'll see him playing left and like in the beginning of the season. I always remember this. He was our left midfielder, and he was in the right corner flag, defending. And I was like, what is going on right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this isn't <laughs> this isn't good. And 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 that in turn, also creates so many more attacking issues. One goal for Dolenton, zero for Amaran, zero for St. Maximin. So, and it's, a lot of it's because of just this awful 40-yard difference between the players. And let's face it, Dolenton, probably not that great of a hold-up striker, as Mm -hmm. we all were hoping for. Maybe if we had a guy like Rondon, maybe uh, that would be a little bit better, but (laughs) that's getting too far into it. (laughs) Um, one of the, one of the things I was really impressed with in this last match, and I talked about it on our last podcast is we were pressing way higher up the pitch than I've seen. We did a couple times with Rafa, um, but definitely not since Steve Bruce. 
was manager. And I and Amaran got in a lot of spaces and made a lot of plays because of that. I think some of it was because he wasn't dropping so far back to defend and he was always like forward when we were pressing and when we won the mm-hmm. ball. What's your thoughts on maybe implementing a more like and what you can kind of see in MLS a lot more often is just more of a high press style and using the the speed of our front three to our advantage on the defensive end. I think I think it's it's likely the best route forward because, truth be told, I don't think there's a, a truly exceptional passer in that team. I think Fabian Shaw, Fabian uh, Lejeune, uh, Florian Lejeune, sorry, they're very good passers as defenders. But you have to give that caveat that as centre backs, yes, they can pass and they can open up the field for quick transitions. But actually, I don't think Sam Maximan is a brilliant passer. As I've said, I don't think the same of Miguel. Joe Linton, for me at the minute, is, is caught in this position of he's not really a hold up striker. He wants to link things up on the ground. A little bit, funnily enough, like Raul Jimenez. I, I put a, a tweet out that, that showed the fact that those two had identical number of. Uh, I think it was touches or passes. But if you actually looked at their chalkboards, so much of Joe Lanton's passes were received from real deep, real high in the air, expecting him to sort of salvage a situation. Whereas Jimenez, it was short, it was into feet. It was, okay, get it, give it back to Moutinho or Neves or Hotter. And so I think for me, the, the benefit of pressing would be it, it essentially turns the ball high up the field. And as Jurgen Klopp said, a really good pressing system is better than the best creative midfielder because when you win it in that scenario, the space instantly opens up, unlike if you're trying to break through a team like they had to do with Wolves. So I, th- I think there's a clear benefit to it. And, and equally, in the Longstaff brothers, in Hayden, I think there's midfielders there that sh- have shown an ability to press and a, and a stamina to do so over a decent period. It's just about having the confidence. And that's, I think, one of my issues is that this season, I don't see Newcastle being the protagonist often enough. Too often yeah. it's, this is how we'll go out, this is how we'll play. And then I don't see a lot from Bruce. I don't see a lot of instruction. I also don't see a lot of substitutions unless something goes wrong. And I think, you know what, be a bit more proactive about this. Like that's, that's one thing that for as much as Rafa got criticism, I really admired that he didn't just sit on his hands. He knew when to put the pedal down when to pull it off and make a change or this kind of thing. And yet, they didn't win every game. But there was a number of games where I thought, you know what, he's really pushed them over the line there. He's made a change. He's made a tweak. He spotted something that the opposition could have exploited and and reacted accordingly. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot to be said tactically between Bruce and, and Benitez and that's probably going to be the focus as we hop into this match preview. Is everyone good with doing that? Or do you have any more questions you heard? Yeah, let, let's, let's get into it. Um, for our listeners, please go read this article because it's, it's a lot of really great insight. It's, Kristen, you've done a great job. It's, you can find it on MLSsoccer.com. Um, and you can also follow Kristen at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Kristen Energy. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, he has it on his on his feed, but also you can go to MLSsoccer.com. And you can if you can't find it on the main page because they're in the thick of the playoffs or getting ready to set up for a pretty unexpected final. Um, but just search Miguel Amaran and that will be the first link that you pop up. Definitely check it out because it's a great lead. And, and he does a lot of a lot of great 
that one thing I really liked that you did is you separated Amron's time with from Rafa to Amron's time now, uh, because there mm. is a difference between his play and on both, both, I don't know, regimes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, both, who knows what to call it. Um, but yeah, I, I think you did it. It's a really well-written piece and everyone should definitely go read it. Well, that, I think that would be my, my curiosity as well is that, I mean, Elijah has, has, arguably watched even more of Almiron than I have because I, I can't see every Atlanta game. Am I wrong in thinking there's a lot of confidence gone out of him? He doesn't seem as full of joy as when he was in Atlanta kind of tearing through defences. I think there's a lot of, of reasons why there was a lot more joy in Atlanta. I mean, obviously winning helps, uh, but he was in a culture that was – very much what he was used to. I mean, we have a ton of South American players. He has really good friends on the team that I'm sure he still talks to today, according to to Roberto. So there was a little bit of that where there's a level of comfortability. You have a a manager that understands you a little bit better and can relate to you a little bit better. Um, But then, of course, it, it does go back to the fact that he was doing well. And I think that when you put him in a new environment, a midway through the season, and uh, and the two friends he did make are now gone. It's like he's kind of had to hit the reset button on everything and have to do that on a short preseason because, of course, this summer he was uh, with Paraguay for the majority of the summer. So I think there's a lot of, of factors that have kind of led to, I would say, a decreased confidence and the pressures adding up. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about his individual performances, but I do think environment is a huge part of it. And the uh, Getting, you know, guys like like uh, Fernandez and Lejeune, guys he was able to talk to, getting them back in the side and back in training is always going to help. And the relationships he's developing with guys like Sam Maximin and, and Joel Linton is going to – it's going to be good. But I think as the season goes on, we'll see the confidence go up because I think the environment's going to be a little bit better for him as well. Mm. Yeah. So let's let's dive into this match. We, we are playing the ex-Andy Carrolls. Against West Ham, <laughs> um, uh, so it's it's gonna be this is gonna be interesting. West Ham's having a a decent season, I, I think. I, well, I'll at least call it better than what I thought. What do you? How do you guys see their season starting so far? I'm pretty pissed that they're doing well. <laughs> yeah, I'll take tenth, right? <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah, I I think I think they they started fairly well. I mean, they had sort of city early doors which is never a great way to start a season but the results kind of picked up from there but I actually think if you look at kind of more recently you've got a draw against Sheffield United you've got a defeat to Everton a defeat to Palace at home and then a draw against Bournemouth some of them results are okay I think they'll be the first to admit that Palace at home is not a great result neither is Sheffield United no yeah you're sort of asking can Newcastle summon a similar spirit can if for argument's sake, Almiron and, and Sam Maximan be the Townsend and Zahar of, of proceedings, can Joe Linton have a bit of an IU evening? And and that's really what you're looking at. I think with West Ham, it's, it's a bit of a funny one because I would almost draw similarities with Newcastle where they wanted the owners to spend. They felt they were going backwards. They felt they'd been sold a pipe dream with this new stadium. And that was around the time they stormed the pitch. Now, I'm not advocating people storming the pitch. Um, <laughs> Just make that clear. Knows. Yeah, everyone knows that's not where Mike Ashley is. You want to 
go further up than that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was a it was a very bold thing to do, and it, again, it's not something we we condone, I don't think. But it sparked change. It, it got them to spend. You know, they they've broken the transfer record. They bought Halle for forty five million. Yeah, and and yet even now it's not quite going as they would hope. So. It, it, it's interesting because for me, growing up, West Ham were a bit of a plucky underdog, a team that just managed to stay in the league a lot of the time. They're not that now. They're a team with genuine aspirations. Um, and from what I can see, going there hasn't been, been great for Newcastle the last sort of few seasons. I remember the 3-2 the around Christmas, but last season, I'm pretty sure we were on a decent run of form. And then a 2-0 loss there kind of sucked a little bit out of that for a second. It was yeah. the sort of Declan Rice, Sean Longstaff derby. So, uh, yeah, it will be a good opportunity to take a win. The fact Fabianski, I think, is out injured is helpful. But overall, I think I'd be very surprised if, if Steve Bruce goes with, with any real ambition to it. I think it's, it's going to mirror what will be a lot of away games where if we can get a 0-0 out of this, we'll take a 0-0 out of it. Yeah, for sure. So let, let's talk lineups. And injuries, uh, I'll get some of the injuries out of the way now. Um, Jack Wilshire, he missed Sheffield's match, well, the match against Sheffield United, had a groin injury. So, But I'm, it seems like he's going to be in the squad. Remains to be seen how much he'll be playing. Um, Snodgrass, expect him to start. Um, Fredericks, Ryan Fredericks will be pushing to get into the uh, lineup. He was replaced by Sabaleta last weekend. Uh, but... Michael Antonio, Fabianski, Winston Reed all expect are going to be out. Um, on Newcastle side, Sean Longstaff will obviously be suspended for this one. And uh, I, I'm pretty confident saying Lejeune will be out. He only played 45 minutes in a U23s match this week. So I'm sure they're, they're probably going to wait to get him a little bit more minutes before coming into first team action. Uh, Andy Carroll did resume training. Still doubtful on Matt Ritchie, and it seems doubtful on Fabian Scher. Um, Elijah, who do you have in your lineup? I mean, I think it's going to be similar to what we have been seeing. Uh, you know, same kind of lineup we trotted out last time. And I guess Hayden could be back for this, so trot him out there. Yeah. Uh, and alongside Maddie, and see what we can do. I don't really think as much as people – have talked about potentially Joel Linton and potentially Miggy, uh, you know, not being in the uh, the starting lineup for whatever reason uh, due to confidence. I think it's all speculation. I don't really anticipate Steve Bruce taking much of a risk it, at all because he really hasn't thus far this season. Besides, his biggest risk was reverting to Rafa's tactics. So I, I just I don't see him dropping either one of them really uh, as we go into this next match. Yeah, and Kristen, do you have any changes to that lineup? Do you agree with Hayden and, and Maddie midfield pairing there? Yeah, I think it, I think it has to be. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't look to, to drastically change that at all. I think in some ways that's kind of the issue that the, the club have got is that there's not a huge amount of variety in that squad. It's a lot of players that facilitate similar roles. And to be honest, my my ship for John Joe Shelby has sailed. I think if he was going to really sort of kick on and do it, I think it would have happened by now. He's, he's had spurts, he's had moments. Um, but I feel like the championship season is, is a good microcosm for, for John Joe. It's, it's nice, it's flashy sometimes, but 
it's just never going to be consistent enough for, for a Premier League team that are going to be fighting right game. Yeah, interesting. We uh, had somebody ask a question about John Joe for you. So we'll, we'll definitely we'll ask that again <laughs> right after this uh, because I'd love to hear. It's a little bit more direct of a question. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that one. Um, okay, so, so we'll start. Yeah. We'll continue with um, you, Chris. Actually, Christian, oh. I have a... I have a question real quick for a question. Oh, oh yeah. So uh, if you could do it your way, Christian, uh, what would your ideal lineup and formation be for Newcastle? I feel like for me, I'd like to see us potentially playing a five in the back, be a little bit more aggressive. I mean, I'm just curious. It's just something I just thought of. Yeah, I I think you're right, Elijah. I think the the back five – the back five is handy because it gives you the defensive base for when you're not in possession. But at the same time, it allows you to transition pretty quickly without being too adventurous and being left, left open yourself. And at the same time, I mean, you can talk about, you know, back four or three in the middle or whatever. We've kind of seen this season when they've put three in the middle, there's just no one up front. And, and that's the problem is it's how do you get from back to front quickly? Man City will do it very beautifully with, with short passes and dominate possession. I just don't think this squad has that. And it's almost what, if I had 10 minutes alone with the owner, I would try and explain is that, look, if you want them to play remotely better, if you want to genuinely back this manager who wants to be expansive in, in air quotes, then you actually need to buy some better players. You need to be willing to invest in just something, whether that's the academy or young players that can actually grow. But this haphazard kind of, we'll take Yedlin for five million, we'll take Mankeo for a couple of million, we'll, we'll go for Kraft for a similar amount. You're not going to do it if you're part of my French half-arsing it. You've actually got to commit. And I think if I can, can give Rafa any credit, yeah, it wasn't always the prettiest, it wasn't. But I think sometimes that's a bit overrated. And I think the back five with those two pressing midfielders, it's actually the best that this squad will, will play. And I think that's why, from what I had heard just from players, they didn't always enjoy it. But they respected that, you know what, this is the best way for us to play and this is how we stay in this league and this is how we win games. So I, I, I don't think a drastic change of any kind is, is going to fix it, unfortunately. I mean, even, you know, you think maybe Dwight Gale for Joe Linton, but then who holds it up? Who, who's the out ball? at least he is showing an ability to kind of do that, if not as well as Rondo. Yeah. And like you mentioned uh, with like going in a more pressing style, it's, it's difficult because of what's on your bench. Like if somebody's Mm. just absolutely exhausted in the 58th minute, what are you going to (laughs) do? You can't leave him in there for another 30, you know? That does concern me actually as well is that for some reason, this team has really gassed after about 70, 75 minutes in oh, every yeah. game. And for my money, I mean, tell me if you disagree. I don't think they're getting through more work. I don't think that they're running further or they're having to do more. They just look a little bit, I don't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as say unfit. But I know the Chronicle and people like that wrote these long pieces about the medical team and how they really did hone on what each player could handle from a stress level in terms of the physical output. And okay, if, if they're at what we think is the peak, we pull them out of training or we give... And I just... I saw a lot of quotes about Steve Bruce getting them running, which 
I've, I've got to be honest, I didn't like doing that when I played. And yeah. I'll, I'll be damn sure the players in 2019 are not just going to get fit because they've run a lot. I think you need some kind of structure or expertise to it that, that for my money, is, is probably not there at the minute. Yeah. No, we saw point. it last match. Yeah, mm. the last match, you play guys into the 80th minute with no substitution, having them running all over the pitch, and you get silly challenges like Sean Long stuff, and you lose a key player for three for three matches. So I think what you're saying is, is completely valid. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start with Elijah here, and then we'll go to Kristen. Uh, what does Newcastle have to do to win this match? Oh, gosh. I sound like three a broken points. record at this point. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't want to revert to my original answer of just saying that they have to have tactics. Because I think we have had tactics the past couple of matches. It's better than, you know, the first few matches. Um, I'd say that we need to find a way to best utilize the talent we have um, offensively. I think it's great to have I – think, I think last match in the Master 4, you kind of saw it. There was individual moments of excellence from Joel Linton and from Alan Miron and from St. Gucci Max, but it was never cohesive and it never felt like they were ever in a position to succeed together as an attacking unit. So I'd like to see if Steve Bruce is able to find a way to utilize those three to the best of their ability all together at the same time instead of his mantra of like, well, you know, we'll let them do whatever they want. And I, I, I hope this isn't true, but I, I keep reading and hearing that like there's this idea that Steve Bruce is he wants less structure in the attack, and that's fine if like you have attacking players like a Kevin De Bruyne or Gabriel Jesus or Aguero or guys who are able to create and do all this amazing things on your own. But when you have guys who are new to the Premier League, I think you need to have structure in order to make them realize their own potential. And so I'd like to see him come up with a tactical plan on how we're going to to provide services to Joel Linton, how we're going to utilize Almond, and how we're going to use like St. Max instead of after every match saying we need to swing more balls into Joel Linton and stuff like that. It's it's getting tiresome. Yeah, and Kristen, what about you? I, th- I think I would echo those sentiments. I think it's funny you talk about crossing. I, in doing that piece on Miguel, I came across the fact that Newcastle are crossing the ball less this season. Now, I, I don't remember them being horribly wasteful with it last season, but I do remember a few goals where, where Rondon converted crosses where it felt as if, okay, they were at least trying to put it in behind a back line. And it seems to me like they're doing a lot of their attacking in front of defences, which, from my brief experience as a right-back, was actually a lot easier. I, I preferred that than someone trying to run in behind me or get in behind me. Looking at the rest, West Ham starting 11 from the Sheffield United game, I think Zabaleta jumps out as, as a possible point of exploitation because he's not quick. We know that. And if it's San Maximan, if it's Almiron, that's someone where you think, yeah, get at him straight away. Don't, don't even hesitate. As soon as you get the ball, and you know it, it's likely going to be Yarmolenko in front, possibly, who I imagine will not want to go backwards or want to go forwards. Just, just get at him. Just, just commit him because I, I, when Newcastle did win it at um, the Olympic Stadium, it was because Christian Atsu pretty much had him on toast, from what I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that same sort of mentality, and also I, th- I think what I would would touch upon that I think is a really good point that Elijah made is 
we're talking about that freedom in the final third. I, I don't think that's a terrible idea because I remember Thierry Henry talking about Barcelona and, and how Pep would want incredible structure in the play up until the final third. And you had to listen to him because he said, look, it's my job to get you there and then you guys do whatever. What concerns me is, are you doing any work so that the harmony between those front three that you've got is actually there when they get into the final third? That's my concern. A, a mm. lot of the time, those three, they look as if they've just met on the way into work. And, and so, whereas, say, Iose and, and Rondon and yeah. Miguel, they seem to know each other, they seem to understand... The, the goal against Everton, the, the, I'm trying to think, I think it was the first one. I want to say it's the first one, yeah, because Iose gets the rebound on Miguel's for the second and then scores the third. So Rondon's goal in that game, that is interplay between two attackers, and I want to say off the top of my memory, four defenders. And yet because they knew each other well enough and they could interlink like that, it didn't matter if you had four or 14 defenders there. They played around them and created a great goal. I'm just not sure if I'm seeing that from Joe Linton because even against Wolves, there was instances where he's ready to spin in to some kind of space and at least make a run. And no one's looking for him. And, and we can criticise him and say, you know what, oh, you should try harder and you should do this. But if you've come from a highly structured environment like Hoffenheim, you're the club's record signing. And they're not playing to you. And most of your touches are coming on your chest. I'd get pretty frustrated after a while as well. And so I think that, yeah, that's great, Steve. If you want to give them more of an expansive approach in the final third, great. But there's work with that as well. And, and that's, that's my big concern is, are they actually doing the work to at least put forth this idea that they want? Or are they just hoping that it comes together by some act of miraculous uh, fortune? Yeah. Yeah, Jeez. no, that- it's a <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so let's let's go flip the switch a little bit here on West Ham side. So my so my players to watch it's Tolaire, obviously, mm. and then I'm really concerned about Philippe Anderson and DeAndre Yedlin that matchup. Um, yeah. DeAndre's we we are pro DeAndre, this is a pro DeAndre Yedlin podcast. <laughs> we have two <laughs> Americans hosting a show about Newcastle United. We have no choice. But one of DeAndre's weaknesses is he does tend to lose the man behind him. Um, <laughs> and that's a concern for me, especially Anderson has been doing so well this season. Um, and he can easily make the final pass. So if he gets behind Yedlin and they, they get a ball to him, uh, it's, it's going to spell trouble. And that's and, oh, the biggest concern for Newcastle is if we go down one nothing, it doesn't seem like we're going to win that match because we've never scored more than one goal in a match this season. So uh, to give up a, a, just a, a, an error goal like that, uh, that's, that's my biggest matchup to watch on, on for West Ham. Um, what about you, Elijah? Uh, so with Chris and kind of uh, – alluded to it, but Zabaleta, I think, is yeah. the weakest point in their back line. And usually when we do this second, we tend to focus on the players that can be most threatening to Castle. But in this case, I think it's important to hone in on like some of the weaknesses. And I think that's a weakness. And playing on that side of the pitch, it'll be interesting to see what Bruce does there. Um, does he allow St. Maxman to play on that side and dribble at him and try to make him miss? Or does he move out on to that side and play him in his natural position, I guess, on the left. 
and uh, and allow him to to beat Zabaleta with pace. So, but I think that's a point of focus for Newcastle if they want to score goals. I mean, I, it's easy to look at their midfield and point out some players, especially given the status the status of our midfield right now. Um, but I think Zabaleta is the, the guy I'll go with. Now, Chris, and so I'm, I'm seeing some things on West Ham's side that Ryan Fredericks could be replacing Zabaleta uh, to regain his spot. Now, if that's the case, mm-hmm. would you say we, we should still have about the same strategy and, and kind of attack him, or we're going to have to switch it up? Well, I think the, the drastic difference is Ryan Fredericks is, is pretty fast. Um, yeah. He also does like to get forwards. But I, I think at that point, I'd still have confidence in Sam Maximan because actually he's been pretty, pretty impressive, I think. Yeah. He's been one of the few bright lights this season. And equally, this part of me thinks, you know what? Just give him a bit of a kick up the backside and say, you know what? You should be having this lad for toast. You really should. This should not be a struggle for you. Um, because he, he has got that trickery. And, you know, I, I spoke to a, a Chelsea fan who basically said he, he was the star man at Stamford Bridge for, from a Newcastle perspective. Now, if he can do that against Chelsea, I'd be expecting the same against West Ham. I think, look, Aaron Cresswell is a solid fullback. I don't think he's exceptional. Um, but the way that West Ham sort of packed the midfield with Rice and then you've got Noble uh, behind, uh, no, Noble in front of him, excuse me, and another midfielder alongside him, that's not something where I think, yeah, going through the middle is going to be a great idea. It may be a case of keeping the front three narrow and, and looking to essentially double up on a centre-back. But I, I think it could come down to those full-backs on both sides because, yeah, I, I, I have a tough relationship with DeAndre Edlin because I want him to do well because I think, yeah, he's a good fullback on his day. He had a tough end of last season, I think, was not where he needed to be in terms of performance and was rightly benched for Mankio. And I think maybe maybe rested on his laurels a little bit. I think the fact that it wasn't a genuine challenge kind of built a confidence in him where he just expected to start. But he's going to need to be on it against Anderson because Anderson had him pretty badly um, last season at, at St. James's Park. And he is a wonderful player. So I, th- I think the points of attack don't drastically change if Ryan Fredericks comes in. I think if anything in a straight sort of 1v1 competition. If I'm against Fredericks, I'm going to try and get to the penalty box as quickly as possible. Because if he does make a mistake, then it's then that's it. If it's Zabaleta, I'm not terribly fussed where he and I end up. It's just a case of trying to get it past him as quickly as possible. Yeah. No, great points there. Uh, we'll get to – we'll do some stats and predictions now. Uh, so, four stats. Um, last five matches in all comps. West Ham's winless. We've won one in our last eight. Um, and and being said, <laughs> yeah, one in our last eight. Um, but our lat, we played Spurs, Liverpool, Leicester, and Chelsea in the last four away matches. Beat Spurs. Still, we'll still love that. Um, so the, the difference here for me is goals. We, so we've only conceded more than one goal in three of our 10 matches so far. So Kind of tough to break down. There's Leicester. But other than that, we've been pretty – we've been decent defensively. Um, mm-hmm. But West Ham have scored at least two goals in their last three home matches. So we're going over to 538, which if you don't know, it's a stats website. 
Uh, if you're a listener, you should definitely know it by now because I read about it every time. Uh, and they say West Ham has a 49% chance to win this match. Newcastle, a 25% chance to win and a 26% chance of a draw. So heavily favored to West Ham getting points in this one. Um, I'll start with my prediction. And I'm going to break my streak, Eliza, of picking oh. Newcastle to lose a lot of matches in a row. <laughs> I don't know how many of them are. Uh, I think we're going to see a draw here. I'm going to go, and this is going, this is going to cause, uh, be a cause for celebration. Um, Newcastle is going to draw West Ham 1-1, and Miguel Almiron will score in the third minute of this match. Well, way to steal my my whole brand. <laughs> that is that's literally like season. Your whole thing was Iose Perez and hating him, and my <laughs> whole thing is predicting Miguel Amron to score every single week until he does. And so, you know what? Just for that, I'm going to say Newcastle. I'm going to go outrageous. Newcastle three nil win. Miguel Amron hat trick, <laughs> similar to Christian Pulisic. Just just. Go for it. I don't care. It, Greg's going to basically take my prediction verbatim. Then I'm, I'm going to go all out. I put a lot of pressure on the line by, by giving people the minute he will score. So I'm, I'm okay. putting a lot on well, the line I here. say it's going to be a – I'll give you his hat trick goals. Uh, <laughs> okay. 17th minute, 34th minute, and 55th minute. A nice, a nice standing ovation from the away section as he trots off the field in the 88th minute because Steve Bruce is an idiot and won't sub him off until then. <laughs> All right, Chris, and, and your prediction? It's rare I get to quote Han Solo when saying, don't tell me the odds. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I, if I'm honest, I can only see a draw at this point. Um, I, I would be really pleased if it was Miguel to get the goal because I think he, I think he deserves it. I think he's had enough... Uh, difficulty to overcome that he just deserves something to just bounce right for him and just just go in the net um but yeah I think if I'm being optimistic I'd say one more Newcastle I can easily see it being 2-1 though because I think West Ham are gonna have a point to prove here they've they've not picked up great results at home lately um and I think they'll they'll fancy the chances against a side that from what I can see the season always has a ragged period at some point in the game where a lot of the structure just dissolves yeah, um, and a couple other stats here. Um, I've been saying I'm, I'm surprised I don't talk about more about the famous expected goal stats that are now like kind of taken over. Uh, we are last in the Premier League in expected goals. Uh, we so far have 5.75 expected goals this season. We have six. Uh, so we're doing a little bit better than what was expected. Um, but goals against, we are also doing better. We have 15 goals against, but their ex- the expected goals against is almost at 17. Um, and we have 2.8 less points than what's expected, or more points than what's expected. So that's a good thing. They're expected, the expected stat says we should have 6.2 points right around there. Um, so I'm, I'm happy we're at nine. <laughs> um, all right. So we'll, we'll go to directly to questions. Um, the first question I'll ask, and then Elijah will, will ask the more um, thought-provoking of the two. The first question is, could Newcastle United beat the mighty Seattle Sounders? 
Uh, that's a good question. It's too counterattacking size, isn't it? Um, yeah. Let's say let's say in a, in a home and home, and aggregate aggregate win. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they could. I, I think um, I think Seattle were great against LAFC. Um, I just wonder if they've got enough versatility in that attack um, because I I think they've had to kind of shoehorn Jogan Jones in. Um, because Brad Smith's been solid, so yeah, I I, I think yes, they they would, um, but I think Seattle would run them close because I am a fan of Schmetzer. He's got a bit of a Rafa quality to him. There's a humility that you don't always see with successful managers. Yeah, what's your aggregate prediction? Uh, two. Let me think. Two two. I'm gonna say win two. on away goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I would oh, say God. two. Two one, I think a one one draw away and then a one nil win at home. Okay, all right, good. We can beat the Seattle Sounders. This is going to be great. <laughs> all right, Elijah, Gosh. you're up. Um. Oh, for answer that question, ask the question. Oh, uh, t- for the next question. Well, if you want to answer the question, then by all means. Um. Just because our one of our, our the the person who asked this is Cameron, who's a writer for our site and. I'm going to say yes, just to spite him. I, I don't have – Kristen had great tactical – I just – I don't want you to have happiness, Cameron. That's it. So, hopefully he's listening and he knows that I don't want him to be happy. Um, our next question comes from Mirza, who is kind of um, another writer on our site who he's tactically driven, very focused, and always has some of the hotter takes that's backed up with evidence on our site. Um, and he says, is John Joe Shelby's Newcastle career over? Thoughts? Kind of yeah. alluded to it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it is, to be honest. Um, John Joe is on big money. Um, I, funnily enough, I was, at, I was actually at his, his debut against West Ham of all teams. <laughs> funny how that works. Um, and you know what? For the first... Uh, not to be fair to him, all, all game, but especially the first 30, 35 minutes, he was outstanding. It was one of the best midfielder f- performances I've ever seen. It, it was his ability to play short through the lines, to play long. I, he, he hit a 60, probably 60, 65-yard ball onto the toe of Daryl Yanmat for the, for the second goal. For the first goal, he plays it through the eye of a needle into to Wijnaldum um, for Perez to score. And I thought, yeah, you know what, fair enough. They've, they've gone out and they've managed to find a replacement for Johan Kabay. Or how naive I was. Um, I, I think, if I'm honest, I think the problem with John Joe is John Joe. Um, he's not incredibly mobile. I don't think he's driven enough. And I think as good as his passing can be, he's far too cavalier with it too often. I look at someone like Sean Longstaff, who genuinely seems to value the ball and will not just always try an ambitious pass, appreciates that, you know what, this is a game of chess or this is a padlock. I've I've got to get into a position where I feel like that killer pass is actually quite low risk and it's about whether I can execute it. And I think the fact that John Joe is on so much money doesn't seem to fit the team and I think will probably play very little this season barring injury and suspension means that why would you offer him another deal? He's not going to want to take less money. If anything, he's going to want to bank on the fact that I'll be a free agent next summer 
I can go to maybe a, a lower Premier League team, if not an aspiring Championship team, and say, you know what, pay me silly money, because it because he he has he's he's always had that propensity to do something brilliant, whether it's you know the that effort from halfway against Chef Wednesday where he clips the bar or some of his passing. I thought the year of the World Cup, he was in for a decent shout with, with getting into the England squad. And I thought, you know what? The fact that he didn't means it's going to go one or two ways. He's either going to knuckle down real hard and try and iron out every flaw in his game because he's not, he's not overweight by any stretch. He's a pretty rakish guy. But he doesn't cover the ground. He doesn't cover the ground. He doesn't put much of a foot in. And I, and I just think there are too many glaring weaknesses for for a team like Newcastle to really carry him in that way. If if he went to a possession-heavy side, yeah, he might do great. He might work really well. But I just think, you know what, Swansea didn't seem desperate to, to keep a hold of him. I think they'd even tired of him. And I think, unfortunately, he as as his career winds down and he, and he finishes, he'll be put into that box of midfielders that could and should have been something better than they were. And... Unfortunately, I think if he's brutally honest with himself, a lot of that is down to him. Yeah, no, for sure. We we actually, right before you got on, we were actually talking on the, Elijah and I, about John Joe. And we said, I remember when we asked, we had Warren Barton on the on the podcast and we were asking oh, him yeah. about having LaSalle's and John Joe represent England pretty soon and see how far that's fallen. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and, and to his credit, yeah. I, th- I think Jamal is close. <laughs> Um, I don't think he's been as great as he was in that. I mean, it's difficult because that season in general, when when they finished tenth, there was a lot of very good players in that squad, and I thought Jamal deserved it more than some others that were put in there. Yeah. And and to a certain extent, England can be a bit of a club. It can be about who you play for, and who who knows the coach and all this kind of useless guff that, that inhibits the the program. But I I just think you know what. I look at Sean Longstaff, I, I'm a little bit torn on Matty at the minute. I think there's a lot of positive energy propelling him rather than actual evidence that he's, he's got what it takes at the minute. He was great against Manchester United, but I think a David Edgar, who had a great game against Man United, I think a Jamie McLean, who had some decent games. It's just about the sustainability, and I've seen that from Sean already. I haven't quite seen it from Matty yet because it is just so early in his career. Yeah, but, but the fact that even they trusted him over over Shelby, that to me says something's not right. And for sure, like I say, when you when you are, it, it sounds really awful as a fan to talk about pounds and salaries and all this because that's not really what football's about. You know, it's not as as someone once said to me, it's not my bloody money. You spend however you want. <laughs> but the truth is, we are a balance sheet club. We well, unfortunately we are, and so that eighty thousand could go on two really good £40,000-a-week players if, if we're assuming that he in charge is going to be a little bit honest about things and actually not try to slash the budget. So, yeah, it's a shame because, I, like I said, he's, he's given some moments where I thought, ah, oh, yeah, brilliant, love it. The, you know, the almost Palo-esque at times. But unfortunately, he just he doesn't do it nearly enough for me. Yeah. yeah, and I remember when we were talking, I mean, it's probably the way through last season about him potentially going to West Ham. And I can't remember if I wrote this because you get to a point where you forget what you write. But I remember just being very, I know I at least said on the podcast, of if there was an offer for John Joe Shelby, I was like, this is the time to sell him. You know, mm-hmm. you have 
you have a future in the midfield and Sean Longstaff. You have decent depth in that position. If you were going to sell him, it would have been this past summer. And the fact that Newcastle didn't, and partially just due to the fact, you know, I think if Rafa were here from the get-go, I think it'd be hard-pressed that John Joe would still be at the club. Um, but I, I just – I thought it was his time was, was – was, should have been over in Newcastle before this season. And this season, unfortunately, has proven me correct. Yes, it definitely has. Um, I still am – one thing I uncovered, I thought about it this year when, when right after Longstaff had his match – is and I'm I'm going to stand by this for now until proven otherwise that there's a huge bias in England between southern talent and northern talent because it is an absolute crime that you have Sean Longstaff and Matty Longstaff that have never even touched a pitch at any level of the English national team system that mm. that to me I don't I have no idea how neither of them have, have even appeared in one match it's mind boggling to me if they're playing in the Premier League as English youth, you think they're somewhere in the system. Uh, that's something that I think uh, England needs to look out for more. Do you that have any thoughts there? That like they're <laughs> that that's wild. I never even thought about that. Like yeah. even if Sean doesn't get that call up, why is he not playing? You know, with the U twenty threes or something like that. Like I mean, I guess Freddie Woodman's our only like kind of real yeah I guess, hope in that system and even then like you said there's a little bit of he knows people and he's you know it, it's a whole thing whether you know is he there because he's a talented lad from the northeast or is he there because he knows the coach it, it's one of those situations I think I hope it's pure talent but then situations where you have the Longstaff brothers especially Sean who is the number one transfer target, allegedly, of one of the, quote, biggest clubs in the world, Manchester United, and he hasn't made at least a U23s appearance for the English national team, is just mind-boggling. Yes. And it's nothing new, though, either. That's the thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd get kicked off for mentioning Sunderland, but Jordan <laughs> Henderson had the same issue when he was at Sunderland. And, and I wrote a piece yeah. around that time saying, how, how is Jordan Henderson... How is even Kevin Nolan not getting a look? They, they, these are two players that are thriving. I think Nolan hit double figures that first season that Newcastle came back up. How are they not even getting a look or a discussion? Whereas, you know, oddly, like Jack Colback got a call up when you think, well, like, there's no rhyme or reason to that. Like, <laughs> what, where's the, the sense in it all? And it's, no, I can imagine it's frustrating. And, and if, if, you know, from a fan's perspective, it could easily force players away. That's the concern is that people like Jamal or Sean will look at it and say, you know what, if I actually want to achieve what I want to achieve, I can't do it in Newcastle, which yeah. again, I think was, was albeit for a different reason, why Jose Perez left, someone that would seem to divide the fan base a bit. But I tell you what, my God, I'd take him back tomorrow. And, uh, and I say that as someone who was a fan of his when he was here, because he was a very good player, a very good player indeed. And as much as he seemed to love the place and appreciate the supporters, even he kind of admitted that, you know what, I was enticed as much by the project as anything else. And, and that's the worry is that these players, how, how good can you ever look when you're constantly fighting relegation? At what point does a coach think, yeah, you know what, Sean Langstaff's doing great there. His team might be useless, but I'll tell you what, he's doing all right. Let's call him up for England. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. Um, Kristen, thank you so much for coming to join us and talk about your club. 
Um, absolute pleasure. Thank every, you for everyone, having me. Yeah, absolutely. Please go check out his article at MLSsoccer.com. Um, it's titled Miguel Almiron at Newcastle United. What's gone wrong? And give Kristen a follow at K Henage. It's K H E N E A G E. Kristen, it's been an absolute pleasure. And let's get three points. Yes, wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, that concludes episode 93 of CHN Radio. I'm your host, Greg Troxell. That's the best damn co host in the land. Glad you do some. And you're listening to this beautiful sound coming from Newcastle. Away the latch. Love you guys. Looking at the old time bridge. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I may as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown hill. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dark. It's in James's Park. If the Gallagher's end in the rain, I'm coming home. And I'm proud to be a Geordie in the living Geordie land. Some people think we're bawdy and we're hard to understand And they say it's just self-pity and we're not so very tough Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had it tough as rough I'm coming home, Newcastle, you can keep your London wine I'd walk the streets all day, I'll meet for a bottle of the River Tyne I'm coming home, Newcastle, I wish I'd never been away Kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother seeing Henny how we I'm coming home And I miss the old blind busker who stands at Fenwick's door He plays a mean accordion you've all seen him there before And I love the Geordie heroes there's so many famous names like Linda Swan in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gates at Games. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the darkness in James's Park at the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wine. Walk the streets all day, I'll meet for a bottle of the river tide. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I wish I'd never been away. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother seeing Henny Howie. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I may as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day, I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown nail. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again. Pray of the dog is in James's park in the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home.